Well, there are two types of bosses in the world. Uh, maybe you've gone to work and you've, you've experienced both of these types. The first type of boss uh, that you will work under is the one uh, that is all about themselves, right? They want to know everything that's going on because they want to make sure that if something goes wrong, they have someone that they can put the blame on. Uh, they, they are the ones that uh, seek power for themselves. They're the one that when the, they walk into uh, the cubicle that you work in, that you just cringe because you know it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Uh, this, these are the types of bosses we don't like to be around. Uh, I remember reading a story here uh, a couple weeks ago about a guy who lives in Florida. Uh, the hurricane came in, messed up some things at his house. So he went to the local hardware store to try to find some things to fix uh, some of the problems. And uh, as he's there getting ready to check out, he was watching an employee try to hang a sign, and the sign was, was way too large. It should have taken a couple of people, and he could just see the employee struggling, and him and everybody else that's checking out is watching it, and finally the employee gives up, and he goes to the manager who happens to be watching everything that's unfolding, and he says, I need help, and the manager looks at the employee and says, I had to do that myself. You can do it by yourself as well get back to work. Uh, jerk, right? Yeah, that's not the type of boss we want to be around, is it? The other type of boss is the boss that, that sees an employee struggling and rather than waiting for the employee to ask for help, goes and helps them. He's the, he's the uh, boss that, that you just love to be around because he makes work fun and enjoyable and he gets things accomplished and people are loyal to him. He empowers them to do what they need to do. I had a boss like this when I worked at Walmart. His name was Chad Tenney. He was our manager uh, of our section of the, the warehouse. Uh, and he wanted us to do things safely, but he also encouraged us and had fun with us and, and just got to know us as human beings. And it was enjoyable and we were loyal to Chad whenever anybody talked negatively about him. Those are the bosses that we want to have. And really what it is, the difference between the two is how they empower their employees or whether or not they beat them down in submission. That's the difference. Are they willing to empower them? Because we want to be empowered as human beings. We want to, people to come up and support us and say, you can do it. And we want to have that in our lives. I think in uh, Psalm 119, the section we're going to read today, it talks about this empowering that we have as the people of God. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Psalm 119. We've been studying this psalm uh, section by section uh, for a while now. Uh, this is going to be uh, starting in verse 41 to 48, the, the Vav section or the Waf section, depending on what your translation has. And here is what... Uh, the psalmist writes in these verses. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commandments because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I might meditate on your decrees. Uh, there's a couple of things that I see in this 
uh, section that, that the psalmist says the word of God does for us. The first thing that he says is that God's love strengthens us to stand firm. All right, and he starts off in verse 41 talking about God's love. And, and what's very interesting is the word that's used here, there's a lot of debate on what it means. And, and we could go into all of that. The only thing that's important for us today is this. The word is significant, and it's more than just what we often think of love. When we think of love, you know, we think about how one person loves another person. But the problem with us as human beings is that that sometimes we give love and sometimes we take love back. If someone does something uh, harsh to us or someone does something that kind of breaks down the relationship between us and them, we tend to be willing to take our love back from them. We see this all the time. We see it in marriages that break down. We see it when one set of friends that were uh, as thick as thieves suddenly no longer talk to each other. Uh, we see it between parents and child that they have differences of opinions and they get to the point where they no longer even recognize each other as family. Uh, we see it in siblings. Uh, we have this emotional thing that we call love and, and sometimes we're willing to draw it back for just a moment because they've done something harsh to us. And, and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just saying that that's what it is. And so this word for love, we sometimes get it kind of mixed up in our heads. Uh, the love that God has is, is a little bit different. It's not saying that, that humans can't show this. Uh, this word appears in the story of Ruth. Uh, Naomi uh, was this lady who was married to a guy, and they moved with their family to Moab during a time of famine. And while they're there, her sons uh, married two women, Orpah and, and, Ruth, and Ruth. And so th- we have this group of family that are living together. And, and as that happens, Naomi has tragedy strike her in Moab, uh, where her husband dies unexpectedly, and then her two sons die also. And so you have a group of widows now, a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-laws who are kind of left by themselves. And so in that time frame, women didn't really work. And so they needed someone to support themselves. And so Naomi decided that she needed to return home back to Judah to find support from her extended family. And so she starts to leave. And as she talks to uh, Ruth and she talks to Orpah, she encourages them to stay in Moab so that they will be able to marry somebody else. And Orpah goes, she says, that's fine, but Ruth, Ruth doesn't leave Naomi. In fact, Ruth insists, no, I will go with you. And though Naomi tried to send her away multiple times, Ruth sticks with Naomi and she shows kindness to Naomi and a love for Naomi that later on in the story, uh, one of the men in the story looks at Ruth and says, you have this unfailing love that God displays towards man. So it's not that we can't express this love ourselves. It's just not usually how we love people. So what is the love of God? The love of God is a marvelous thing. The love of God is given to us even though we fail him all the time. The love of God is so that he sent his son into the world that he might die for the sins that we committed, not because of any sins he has committed. 
The love of God is looks at us even while we were enemies of him. He sent Jesus so that we might have peace between ourselves and God. The love of God stretches his arms wide and the love of God waits for us longingly to come to him. It's no wonder that as the psalmist sits there and examines the love of God that he says it is salvation itself. And he says that that's, this love of God causes him to trust in the word. Uh, this word for trust, is, again, English is a bad language sometimes trying to translate these words. The word for trust there is not belief, all right, but rather it's this idea of standing firm. This idea that you're on the solid ground and someone's not going to be able to push you over. And so the love of God causes us to stand firm no matter what we face. The psalmist talks about taunters. Uh, people who are coming up to him and, and, and making fun of him and poking at him and trying to get him to retaliate. And a lot of times in this world, we face these type of people over and over again. And a lot of times in our society, especially as Christians living in this foreign land, we, we, when we are taunted, we tend to shrink back in fear. We don't want our friendships to be broken. We don't want to be that person that's cast aside in society. We don't want to be the odd person out. So when people taunt us because of our faith, we're more willing to just kind of sit back and take it. Maybe, maybe we say we'll turn the other cheek and we'll let them say what they want to say as long as we don't disenfranchise them. But what the psalmist says is, no, we are to stand firm. That even as people are coming at us because of our faith, we stand firm because we have the love of God behind us. I love how Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, when he says, What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And what Paul has talked about there right before this question is he's talked about the process of salvation. He said that God foreknew who would come to him and he predestined them and he called them and he justified them and he glorified them. And this whole process of bringing about a people of God that are glorified because of what God has done, he asked the question, what do we say to everything that God is doing in the world? What do we say about everything that God is doing for his people? And the answer is this, if God is with us, who can truly stand against us? There's a, there's a wide gap in ability and talent and strength between a professional team and, and someone that is just starting. We could take baseball, for example, okay? If you were to pit the Cardinals against Mexico high school baseball team, who would win that game? Who would want to watch that game? Honestly, I, we're just shaking our heads. No, right? That wouldn't be a fun game to even go play. We could even take a middle school player and put them as the pitcher for the Cardinals just to make it kind of even. And you know who still would win that game? The Cardinals would still win that game. Not this year, right? <laughs> well, well, we don't know. We'll see. You know, We can try it. We can try it. There's just this wide gap in sports, and, and that's kind of how it is in life, okay? 
if God is on our side, it's like having a professional baseball team as we face any other team that's in high school. I mean, if God is on our side, the creator of the universe, the, the almighty God, the one who spoke existence into being, if he is with us, then there's no one that can stand against us. So why do we shrink in fear? Why don't we stand our ground when people come at us because of our faith? We need to stand firm. And if God's love is backing us as the people of God, we can stand firm. Uh, The other thing I see in this passage is is this. It's going to be on the screen because I forget it. God's promises are worth waiting for. And he kind of hints about this in, in verses 43 and 44 there when he talks about not taking the word of truth so that he can put his hope, because he's put his hope in the laws. Uh, the word there for hope, it's, it's a mixture of words. And again, English is not a good way to translate Hebrew sometimes. Uh, it's a mixture of ideas. One idea is, is an expectation that what has been said will come to pass. I know that you've promised this and it will happen. The other, other idea is an idea of waiting. I, I, I might have to be a while. It's just expectantly waiting for something to come true. My daughter uh, had her birthday yesterday, and uh, she has probably been planning out this birthday party thingy that she's had planned for like six months. All right, she, she, we told her she could have some friends over, and so she's been thinking about her friends, and I think she's known who her friends are going to be that are coming over to her house for like four or five months. They, they called them and got it all worked out way back then. Uh, she's been talking about getting her ears pierced for months, all right, and she's been waiting for this day, knowing that it was going to be fun, knowing that she was going to get her ears pierced, knowing all these things. And this is the idea of waiting expectantly. I'm looking forward to this coming true. Our God has promised many things for us. He has promised to protect us. He's promised to provide for us. He's promised to be our defender and our shield. He's promised to be our shelter in the storm. He's promised to give us salvation. He has all these promises in front of us, and we as Christians need to wait on Him. Too often as as human beings, we're impatient, right? We live in, in the technology world, we live where you don't have to wait for the store to have it in stock. You just go to Amazon and it'll be there two days later. I mean, that is the type of people we are. We do not want to wait if we don't have to wait. But waiting for God is important because sometimes God doesn't work on our timetable. Sometimes God works in His, most of the time. And pretty much all the time, God works in His own timetable. And so while we may want something, sometimes we're going to have to wait. Micah had to learn this. Uh, Micah was a prophet in the Old Testament that lived uh, during the reign of the three worst kings of Israel. In fact, one of them, uh, they, they say, it, it says that he is the worst king ever to leave, lead Israel. All right, and so he's in this time period where people are, are turning away from God and, and, and they're not following God's ways. And it's just a terrible place for him to be at. And in the midst of this, 
as God is talking to Micah and saying, hey, I'm going to bring judgment. It's not going to be pretty. You need to warn the people. Micah uh, responds in this way in chapter 7, verse 7. He says, as for me, I will watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. I mean, Micah is living in this very evil society, and he's saying, I will wait for God to come. I will wait for him to appear, and he will make it better. We live in an evil society, and sometimes it doesn't feel like we can take another step because of everything that's coming upon us, and we have to be willing to wait because when God shows up, he will move. And so we, we have to recognize that, that the promises of God, they're not going to come tomorrow necessarily, but they will come, and we need to wait for them to come. The other thing that I see in here is that God's law brings freedom in our lives. And sometimes we don't really think about that making sense because a lot of times we like to define freedom as being able to do whatever we want to do without people telling us that we are not, can't do it. I mean, that's, that's basically a good definition of America, right? I mean, England was saying you have to pay taxes, and we said, well, no, we don't, and so we have this big war and break away. All right, but that's the problem is, is freedom isn't not having rules. All right? Not having rules is chaos, and if you don't believe me, go to an elementary school. <laughs> and if you go into the elementary school and the, you see the teacher walk out of the room, just give it five minutes, it will be chaos, right? Right, teachers? Unless there are firm, established rules beforehand that if I come back in this room and you're not doing your work, you're in trouble, all right? I'll do sentences or detention or whatever it is that they do nowadays. I had to do sentences. That would have been fun. All right? Whatever it is, like if there's not firmly established rules, there's chaos. I mean, we see it all the time in our house. All right? We, we have uh, two girls that like to talk instead of doing schoolwork. And we'll walk out of the room literally to get a glass of water to drink and we'll come back and they're arguing and throwing things at each other. It's chaos because there are no rules. So freedom isn't not having rules, that's chaos. Freedom is abiding by God's rules. We are sinners. And sin enslaves us worse than anything else out there. Sin causes us to, to follow its path, and it leads us down harsh roads, and it breaks relationships, and it causes problems in our lives, and we are been set free from that by Jesus. God sent Jesus to show us a different way to live, and he has set us free, but that freedom is not to do whatever we want, but to follow him. In Galatians, Paul says, you've been set free. Don't use that freedom to continue to sin to indulge the flesh. We need to live by God's way of living. We need to live by His rules and His commandments and His precepts. There's two different ways that people often look at the laws of God, the commands of God. One way is that it's a hindrance to their lifestyle. You know, I, I've heard it so many times that they don't, people don't want to follow God because God says you can't do X, whatever X is. Or they say, I know that God doesn't want me to do Y, and I still want to do Y, so I'm not going to follow God until I'm, I'm done with the, whatever this Y is. The problem is, is that whatever it is, X or Y, it's sin. 
and it's causing problems in their relationships, and it's causing problems with their health, and it's causing problems that long-term are not good. And the laws of God, they're there, not because God doesn't want us to enjoy these things, but because God wants us to have life, an abundant life at that. And God knows that if we follow His way of living, we will have the best life we possibly could have. The other way that people sometimes view the rules of God is it's like a checklist. It ends up being a burden. Am I doing this or that and that? And we have this huge checklist that we oftentimes become legalistic in. Oh, you're not doing this, you're, you're a problem. But God's laws aren't a checklist. It's a guideline. Are you doing this and following me? So we cannot look at God's rules as a hindrance or as a burden. Rather, we need to have love for God's word and God's rules. And if we can live by them, when we use them as a guidance to our path, we find freedom in our lives. Last thing I see in this is that God's commands embolden us to speak. Uh, He talks about in verse 46 when he says, I will Proclaim your statutes in front of kings. Most people don't like to speak in public. If you look at a number of different studies, one of the, usually one of the top three or five things uh, is the fear of public speaking, right? No, people don't like to speak in public. Sometimes some of the studies show that they'd rather die than speak in public. Their, their fear of public speaking outweighs the fear of death. So one, we're going to talk about pu- speaking in public. Are we willing to do that? On top of that, we got to look at this idea of kings, speaking to a king. I mean, kings, we, we, when we think of kings, we think of like the king of England, right? It's just somebody that doesn't have much power nowadays. But the kings in that time period were everything. They were the lawmakers. They didn't like what you had to say. They could do pretty much everything, anything that they wanted to do. They didn't like what you had to say. They could kill you for it. And so just imagine the fear of not only speaking in public, but also speaking truth. And truth, people don't like that. I mean, we could give example after example in our society of when you speak truth to somebody that goes against what they believe or what they're doing, how do they react? It's not good. So imagine speaking truth in front of a king who could do whatever he wants to do to you, and you're telling him something that he is doing wrong, or you're telling him something that he doesn't believe in. What could possibly, what could possibly happen there? Not something that a lot of people would be willing to stand up for. And yet, the psalmist says that he has that, he will do that, he will not be put to shame because he delights in God's commandments. We should not fear speaking truth in love. And we should not fear because we have God behind us. Remember, if God is for us, who could be against us? Jesus said that the one thing that you should fear in your life is not man who can kill your body and that's it, but rather you should fear God who can kill your body and your soul. And if we can recognize that, if we can keep that in the forefront when we're dealing with people of power and we can speak truth into their lives, we will not have fear of what they'll do to us. Throughout this entire section, I think there's one thing that stands out, and it's this idea that loving God's word 
empowers our walk with God. He says it throughout, I love your word. I love your commands. Your love, God, emboldens me. And I think if we can love the word of God, we will have empowerment in our lives. When we're working with bosses, a lot of times the bosses cause the employees to be empowered or not. Luckily for us, as Christians, as followers of God, we have a boss who wants to empower us. God wants to give us power in our lives. God wants us to have a good relationship with him. God wants us to speak truth into people's lives. And so the thing that oftentimes holds us back as Christians is our attitude. And in particular, our attitude to the word of God. Lifeway Research did a study of about 2,500 churches where they kind of went in and they asked people to answer some different questions. Uh, and then one of the things that they were asking is, do you pray? how often do you pray? Uh, how often do you read your Bible? How often do you give to the church? How often do you serve? Those type of questions. And, and a lot of them were spiritual disciplines, what we call spiritual disciplines. And as they were looking at all the data, this is the one thing that they found out. That people coming to church on Sunday morning, that doesn't really affect how they live. It doesn't really affect how they pray or how they give or how they serve the church. So coming to church doesn't do that. There's one thing, one thing only, that affected everything else. And that one thing was reading the Bible. What they found is if you just read the Bible for five minutes a day, you'll pray more. If you read the Bible for five minutes a day, you will serve more. If you read the Bible for five minutes a day, you're more likely to share your faith with your friends and family and your community. If you read the Bible for five minutes a day, you're more likely to give. And so I think what the psalmist is hinting at here is, is our love for God's word affects everything that we are. He understands that if we love God's word, we're more likely to stand firm when people are taunting us. If we love God's word, we're more likely to obey the laws of God. If we stand firm and, and love God's word, we walk in freedom in our lives. So here's your question. Do you love God's word? If I went to my wife and I told her I loved her, and yet I only spent an hour a week with her, would she think I loved her? So why do we so often do that with the word of God? Do we love God's word? And I'm not saying we need to make it an idol or it needs to become another checklist of, yes, I've done this, yes, I've done this. Do we truly value it? Because if we value it, it becomes important to us. It becomes something that we're willing to take just five minutes, not, I mean, as you're eating cereal or whatever you eat in the morning and look at it and examine ourselves to it. If we do that, if we have that attitude, we will be empowered 
in our walk with God? Do you love it? Or do you despise it? Let's pray. Dear God, we are grateful that you have given us such a great resource in our lives. That you've given us your word of truth. And I pray, God, in my life that I will love your word. That I'll spend time with your word. That I'll examine myself to your word and I'll meditate on it. And consider my ways according to what you have written down. Lord, when, I, when I'm tempted to, to just set it aside for a moment and, and say, you know what, my life's too busy. I, I pray, God, that when those moments come that that I'll remember what the psalmist said here. That I'll set it in front of me, that I'll walk according to your ways. That I'll recognize that by loving you, by having you beside me, I have the strength to face whatever comes my way. Lord, help me to love your word. It's your name we pray. Amen.